thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who always keeps Will Smith's wife name out of his freaking mouth, Mike <laughs> Van de Bogard. Uh, thank you, Joe, and thank you once again to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements here before we get going, and I apologize if my voice sounds a little weird. I'm recovering from a cold. Yeah, we and were going to record Monday, and we, yes. we postponed. I'm a little congested, but I'm feeling fine, so my voice is a little off today. So uh, thank you to these new patrons, or patron supporters, Sue and Eddie Spencer, Tyler St. Clair, Catherine DeLoach, Janelle Heath, Brett Barr, Sarah Pajanin, and Emily Putnam. Pajanin? Pajanin. Pajanin. But, uh, Putnam. Putnam. So thank you so much for supporting the show. I uh, we say this. We've been saying this for like a year and a half. Eventually, we are gonna get, have a studio. So we're close. We're close. We're starting to look for spaces. Yeah, we got some other cool things cooking that we can't talk about yet, but um, we will announce that stuff when we can. Uh, this episode suggestion comes to our friends from uh, Strange Outdoors uh, Premium. So if you don't know what that is, it's a website that kind of dedicates articles to kind of what we talk about: strange disappearances, and they have a premium section with premium content and is it strange things in the outdoors <laughs> no. so uh thank you to uh strange outdoors and uh head over to their website uh, strangeoutdoors.com and give them a give them a look so uh as always if you want to call the show we we've been racking up some voicemails that we'll have to go through here in oh yeah we're a couple getting, we're getting couple excited weeks. on that one yeah so call 208-391-6913 and leave a voicemail any topic you want to talk about is fair game just remember we may play it on air so uh, yeah. don't say like if you're in an uber home from the bar one night <laughs> call the number let us know how your night went yeah so don't say anything you might be ashamed to hear on the air and finally you can help support the show by either going over to patreon and becoming a patreon member we have lots of additional content we also have we're recording a really fun episode after this for patreon we have a bunch of a bunch of our patreon supporters have sent in ideas and we're going to en- enter them live on the air into this uh, AI art generator called Dolly. You've probably heard of it. It's on Instagram and uh, it comes up with some really wild artwork and we're going to, we're just, it's a fun episode. It has nothing to do with missing people. Yep. It's um, going to be a lot of fun though. Yeah. So you can head over there and uh, join Patreon. You can also join YouTube memberships to get access to our free or our uh, member content and finally, you can join uh, premium subscriptions on Apple, which is similar to Patreon and YouTube. So, and you can buy stuff from our store on Facebook or our website. Always a support. All right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown.
May 6, 2006, a couple hiking in Mount San Jacinto State Park were navigating off trail when they realized they had become lost. After following voices they thought they'd heard down the trail, they realized that they were in trouble. Luckily, they had found a campsite of a man who went missing a year earlier. Join us this week as we follow the amazing rescue of Brandon Day and Gina Allen. So we are oh. going to. Oh, you want to say one more I, thing? I wanted uh, just and yep, jump in. Just for our listeners who have been listening for a long time, there'll be kind of a the location profile and character profile are a little condensed, just because the timelines we're we're covering some very long timelines, a lot of information. So we didn't want this to go like three hours. So just a little <laughs> little asterisk in the, the beginning. Plus, it's a little bit of a different one because. They have found the people, which is unique because you're going to hear kind of what happens when people go missing. We're going to yeah. get a little glimpse into what's going on in their heads and, and stuff like that. So it's going to be an exciting and, one. And uh, not to give too much away, but th- the people that were found, uh, a lot of things they did to get lost are things we talk about all the time, what you shouldn't do, which is kind of, this will be a good kind of real life example of what can happen. So of why you should always listen to Mike and Joe. <laughs> yes. So we are in Mount San Jacinto. I can't say that. Like it's a tongue twister, even though it's not. Uh, Mount San Jacinto in Mount San Jacinto State Park. Jacinto. 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 Potato. Potato. <laughs> nuclear. Nuclear. Call our, our number. <laughs> yeah, if that you is, don't like that. Uh, I'm going to start saying Jacintos. I'm just going to start saying it wrong to get the call. Jacinto. Uh, it's a 14,000 acre national uh our 14,000 acre park so it's about a thousand acres smaller than indiana dunes national park if it were a national park it'd be one of the smallest but it's a california state park yeah it was established in 1927 uh and it's the highest in both ranges so the mountain is the highest in both ranges and in the county and serves as a southern border of the san georgian georgino pass i'm having a really tough time tonight i had a long day uh naturalist john muir wrote of san jacinto peak the view from san jacinto is the most sublime spectacle to be found anywhere on this earth he has a lot of those quotes from a lot of places yeah i the first time i heard it i was like wow and now either he was like just all over the west i think he's all over the west just loving life so everything he saw was just the best thing he saw which that's awesome. Hey. I'm jealous. Yes. It's jealous rage. Uh, <laughs> San Jacinto Peak is one of the most topographically prominent peaks in the United States and is ranked the sixth most prominent peak in the 48 contiguous states. So that's probably what he's referring to. If it's a very aggressive peak, you know, like when you go to the Rockies. Yeah. You can sometimes be on tall mountains that slowly cascade. and Or I mean, you can go to ones where you're at the base and it is just looks pull massive. Pull some pictures up of it when uh, we get into the, yes. the timeline because it is... Yeah, it's different than a lot of, you know, some of the alpine hikes we've talked about. Okay. So it is in California near the greater Los Angeles and San Diego metro areas. So some little, a little habitation history of the area. The peak is known at, to the Chihuly, Chihula Native Americans as a kitsch or ayakitsch, meaning smooth cliffs. It is regarded as the home of Dakush 
the meteor and legendary founder of Chahulia. Chahula. <laughs> I, I know I'm screwing that up. Call the number. I'm gonna ca- I'm gonna put that into our super advanced Kahulia. Kahul- I gotta turn the volume up. Kahulia. 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 Wow. Yep. I'm gonna get a lot of Way hate. Off. We're gonna get like yes. one star ratings Kahulia. for pronouncing it wrong and all the bad things. So <laughs> the climate around the San Jacinto Mountains, like the neighboring San Bernardino Mountains, are humid island above the surrounding desert and semi-desert. Annual precipitation ranges from about 15 inches at the western base and only 6 inches on the eastern desert base to as much as 32 inches above 5,500 feet. Uh, The mountain town of Idlewild averages 27 inches per year. The coastal, which is the western side of the range, reaches more precipitation than the eastern desert side. Got that rain shadow. Yep. Most of the precipitation falls between November and March with a secondary maximum associated with thunderstorms during the summer monsoon season between July and September. The precipitation totals are highly variable from year to year. Snow usually falls above 4,000 feet in elevation in the winter and above 8,000 feet. Snow sometimes persists until June. Near the crust, there are often a few patches of snow that may persist all year in shady spots. So a little bit about the terrain. Uh, to the east of San Jacinto, the 10,834-foot peak towers over the city of Palm Springs. To the west, it borders the mountain community of Idlewild. I've actually seen this mountain from Palm Springs. Have you? Yes. I have not. Uh, the peak is also frequently called Mount San Jacinto. The steep escarpment of its north face above Snow Creek climbs over 10,000 feet in seven miles this is one of the largest gains in elevation over such a small horizontal distance in the contiguous United States. Tough so hike. Very aggressive. Yes. So what are some of the animals we'll see there? Coyotes, mule deer, bobcats. Rarely we'll see mountain lions and a handful of black bears, but that is extremely rare. They're definitely not grizzlies or brown <laughs> bears. Yeah, and they're very rare. You probably won't see one. Yes. Uh, it is hot at lower elevations in summer, upwards of 90 degrees near Idlewild, but it can also get extremely cold in the winter months. Uh, very dry in the hot summer months. Water is usually plentiful in the spring due to the snowmelt, but as the months get hot, water can be hard to come by. Uh, altitude sickness is always a concern when you're at those high altitudes, and blizzard-like conditions uh, do persist in the winter and can be bad enough most years that authorities warn PCT hikers to wait it out. Yeah, that's a, a thing that will come up in one of the timelines is the the weather in the winter can get so bad that um, people hiking the PCT need to just either go around or what was the term they call it for people that skip sections? Uh, section hiking. Section hiking. <laughs> Through hiking and section yeah. hikers. So <laughs> it's the word you use to ask the question. Yeah. <laughs> So based on that information from the California Department of Parks and Recreation, most of the trails in the park range uh, from moderate to extremely strenuous hikes with only two short trails totaling less than two miles listed as easy. So most of the hiking in this park is not for the faint of heart. And I think, uh, you know, what I got from it is you need to be in very good physical condition to do a lot of these hikes. And I think you got to really plan ahead. Um, especially if you're going in the winter. Um, there's a lot of special winter gear that you're going to need, your, you know, crampons, ice axe, things like that, especially if you're going to the, the summit. Um, so You got to know what you're doing. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about Mr. Day and Ms. Allen? 
Yeah, so um, it's Brandon Day, Gina Allen. Uh, Brandon was 28, Gina was 24. Uh, they obviously were found alive, gender male and female. Um, don't have a lot of information on them. Gina was an All-American cheerleader as a teen and as an adult became a traveling cheerleader instructor. Uh, she earned her degree in family resource management from Iowa State University, eventually moving to Dallas to live with her sister, which is where she met Brandon. Uh, Brandon lived in Dallas and was a financial advisor for a company called Martin Financial Group. Um, f- from what I could tell, they had no medical issues. Um, they had absolutely, and this was from my research, no experience in the wilderness. They had never camped out or done any hiking. Okay. So um, as green as you can come when it, it comes to hiking. So an experience in that location, absolutely none. So... Um, not a ton of information on them, but uh, you'll kind of, I think we want to stress their experience in the wilderness because that's going to come up in the timeline. So uh, I was pulling up. That is a beautiful mountain. Yeah, it, it, looks, it looks like a great place to hike. Yeah. Not something I would do if you're a, a green greenhorn. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> um, but I'm sure a lot of inexperienced people hike it and do just fine. But um, so... All right, Joe. We have a sponsor for this episode. I wasn't paying attention. Sorry. <laughs> when Mike and I aren't listening to our own show, we love to chime in to some of our favorite hosts in the true crime unexplained genre. That's right. We're talking about the Chime In podcast. Graham, Sarah, and Michaela explore topics including the unexplained, true crime, missing persons, and much, much more. Their show has included distinguished guests such as U.S. Marshals, Darren Sharper of the Cooper Vortex, and Chris Williamson of Vanished and Chasing Earhart. But wait, there's more. To make it more fun, each episode has trivia questions to include and engage the audience. Mike and I have been enjoying the Chime In podcast since 2018, and now we want to share it with you. You can download and subscribe to the Chime In podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Find them on Twitter at Chime In Podcast, Instagram at chimein.pod, and Facebook as Chime In Podcast. That's C-H-I-M-E-I-N Podcast. They're big supporters of Locations Unknown, and we hope that our friends enjoy their show as much as we do. So I'm going to jump into the timeline for a gentleman named John Joseph Donovan first before we talk about Brandon and Gina. But Mike, why would we do that? (laughs) Well, Mr. Donovan ties into the timeline of Brandon and Gina in a very important way. I'm not going to spoil it just yet, but um, it's really actually quite amazing. I, I can't remember another case where something like this happened. I'm sure it has happened, but what are the odds kind of that's okay. So All right, I think that's a good enough reason. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> uh, so who was John? John Donovan was an eccentric man. Uh, he was described as generous and kind he had been a social worker in Petersburg, Virginia, uh, never married. He didn't really have any family other than his fellow hikers in the Old Dominion Appalachian Trail Club. He, was, uh, he had a really tough life. I, I gathered from his history that life was not easy for him in the early, early years. So he was born in Pittsburgh to working-class parents, but his father left home when he was an infant, and his mother died before he turned 10. And he spent most of his years in Catholic orf- orphanages and uh, eventually moved in with an unmarried aunt who 
uh, took him along to a hotel restaurant where she waited tables. His friend, Chris Hook, said he did grow, uh, he did grow up, uh, he did grown up things when he was young. He kind of just raised himself like Oliver Twist. So um, John had no siblings, uh, not even a cousin he was close to, and there isn't a single person who could recount the, his entire life, which is really sad. Um, I feel bad for the guy that, you know, he had, you know, none of that connection with other family or, you know, not even one person that could recount things that happened in his life. So um, questions about how he spent his 15 years in the Navy, for instance. When I, mean, I got this picture of him next to Mount. Can you, can you name it? This is one of the ones we got Katahdin. in trouble. Katahdin. 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 Yes. <laughs> Call the number. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, uh, he was in the Navy for 15 years, but no one really knows any of that history. His legal next of kin was a stranger. Uh, this is a quote. I can't remember if I actually ever met him, says cousin Chris Davenport of Monrovia, California, but he kept in touch Christmas cards and so on. So rough upbringing. His dad ditched him. His mom died when he was young and really had no family. Uh, so he became a hiking fanatic, spending at least a third of the year on hiking trails. He'd taken up hiking in his 40s to lose weight. He was called El Burrow. <laughs> for that, was the, his, that was his trail name? Yeah. El Burrow? For the way he plowed through icy creeks and windstorms and meandered off course for two days and still finished his trek. He walked slowly, sometimes trudging into camp two or three hours behind his hiking companions. Though uh, Donovan never really made hiking look easy, he bagged the 500-mile Colorado Trail and the 20 or 2,175-mile Appalachian Trail, which he section-hiked over the course of a decade. Um, and it, it goes on to say, you know, though he walked 4,000 miles a year, uh, a lot of people still considered him an amateur. He got lost often. Once on Vermont's Long Trail, he detoured to take in a vista and then returning to the path, he hiked three miles, three miles back the way he had come in, not stopping until he hit a road and saw a car that looked vaguely familiar. So very uh, experienced hiker in the sense that he did a lot of hiking, but it sounds like he wasn't, he never like kind of learned from the hiking he did. That was my impression of Mr. Donovan. Okay. So... John's adventure that led to his disappearance uh, starts on April 22nd of 2005. So he he was planning to through-hike the PCT. Uh, So in 2005, John had recently retired at the age of 60 and began hiking the 2,650-mile-long Pacific Crest Trail from Southern California to the Canadian border. John planned to start in Mexico and hike hike to Oregon and began hiking the trail and began hiking the trail in northern Mexico. So he did do a lot of planning for this trip. He spent over a year planning uh, on a manual typewriter. He typed out a six-page itinerary and organized everything, including how much coffee he'd need per day. He encouraged friends to send gifts, but nothing that has to be carried past the post office. He said, I'm just too old and lighter is better. So, you know, even though people described him as an amateur, he still seemed to put a lot of preparation into this PCT hike. So John had originally planned to hike the PCT with Ken Baker, a 60-year-old um, who was a good friend from the Old Dominion uh, Hiking Club. Baker was a, re- a retired mechanical engineer who lived outside of Richmond, 
Like John, Ken spent three to four months a year backpacking and was known for his easy looping stride. These guys are kind of like living, living the dream life. Yeah. Spending four months a year hiking. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, yeah, I can, and I want to <laughs> do that. So We have someday. children and responsibilities, however. Yeah, someday. So Baker had spent around 100 hiking trips with Donovan since they met through the ATC club in the late 1990s. Ken regarded his friend with a fond dismay. John was a kind was kind of clumsy and wasn't mechanically inclined. Of course, an engineer would say that. Yeah. Uh, so in the spring of 2005, Ken Baker told John he wanted to postpone the start of their PC trip, PCT trip by three weeks. Ken said, "I'd look I'd I'd looked at the weather data in Southern California and had just had its snowiest winter in 30 or 40 years." But Donovan couldn't be dissuaded from the original plan. I asked, what if you get lost, Baker recalled. He just said, the crowds up ahead will blaze a trail through the snow. It'll be all right. <laughs> so kind of reckless. Um, I would postpone if they just if California just had its most snowiest winter in 40 years. Yeah, and they're recommending postponing. Yeah. So um, we're fast forwarding now to the start of the through hike. So. At the start of his thru-hike, Donovan uh, wasn't alone. He headed north from the Mexican border with his friend Lind Paget, uh, 48, through the very hot Mojave Desert that surrounds the PCT's first 100 miles. We've gone into the PCT in great detail in one of our previous episodes a month or two ago. Um, if you want to learn more about the PCT trail in great detail, go check that episode out. It Do you was, remember uh, which one it was? No, it was the Irish guy who went missing. I'll look it up. You keep talking. Okay. So, um, Lynn was a tool salesman. David O'Sullivan? David O'Sullivan. Episode 67. Yeah. Learn about the PCT and David O'Sullivan on episode 67. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, Lynn was a tool salesman with a bushy red beard. He had thru-hiked the AT, AT in 1997 but in the years since, he had kind of left the hiking club's inner circle and put on some weight. Uh, in the Mojave, Donovan accidentally left his lucky pants at a motel, and he had become obsessed, obsessed with the loss of his pants. One windy night in camp, I set up my tent and got in, Paget says. John was still out there struggling to set up that little tarp of his, so I yelled to him, Hey, comrade, how's that tarp treating you? John replied, the damn wind's blowing it all over the place, and I don't even have my lucky pants. <laughs> so uh, two days later in the town of Warner Springs, Lynn's feet were now so swollen that he had to give up his dream to complete the through hike but John was distracted and happy. Um, he goes, guess what, comrade? The guy at the motel sent me my pants, and he paid the postage. From then on, John would hike alone as Lynn had to pull out. Well, that was cool, the dude at the motel. Yeah. <clears throat> So uh, fast forward now to May 2nd of 2005. So by the time Donovan began climbing Mount San Jacinto on May 2nd, the signs of danger were very apparent. Snow was three feet deep, um, the me and the meteorologists were predicting a heavy storm. So most thru-hikers had decided to wait out the weather in the town of Idlewild, um, which is accessible by a very easy 2.4-mile uh, trail. Uh, so around noon on May 3rd, when three well-equipped hikers met Donovan, they warned him that they'd seen clouds sweeping in. Um, but here's a quote. But we weren't going to change his mind, says Brian Barnhart, a Pittsburgh-based metallurgist. 
he was uh, emphatic about going up Fuller Ridge. You checking out how I say Barnhart? No. Oh. I see if I have any. I'm just going to keep searching for images of people. Gotcha. Okay. So around 1 p.m. on May 3rd, Donovan uh, started to have doubts about going forward. He climbed uh, into Little uh, Tosquitz Valley. There's a word you can try looking up. Tosquitz. Um, there we go. Little Tosquitz Valley. Little Tosquitz. Gosh, so bad with words. That's okay. Um, so he climbed into Little Tahits Valley just south of Saddle Junction and found that the trail, partly visible until then, was now completely covered by snow. And if you listen to our other episode on the PCT, this is one of the main issues people have with trying to do the, the hike in the winter is that a lot of the trails can become so snow-covered you don't know where they are. So Donovan sought help from two other hikers, a Canadian nurse called Connie Davis, who is uh, 46, and her 20-year-old son, Alex. Both of them had extensive mountain hiking and high-altitude experience. Donovan had camped near Connie and Alex the night before, and they did not hit it off well with him at all. Connie said he had no trouble speaking his mind. When we talked of how young men can find themselves on the trail, he was dismissive. He said, you find yourself living your life. (laughs) So whatever that means. Um, So John began following the Davises through the snowfield, and Connie told him, we're not going to take the most direct route, but he decided to follow them anyways, staying at 8,000 feet, hugging the counter line. They were equipped with good crampons and hiking poles. John wasn't. Another thing that you shouldn't be doing that in the yeah, winter without. you need that if you're going through snow. Yeah. Uh, just, just for, like, the exhaustion of it. Yeah. It's going to keep you, your footing better. You might stay on top of it rather than sinking in, and... That's just, it's just extra work you have to do. Yeah. So Donovan stayed about 30 feet behind them. He'd put on crampons, but the spikes didn't work well with his lightweight trail runners, and he slipped and fell repeatedly. Connie said he was having a hard time, but he seemed healthy, and it seemed to me he was going to hike up Fuller Ridge if he wanted to. I remember thinking, he's an adult. I won't tell him what to do. Donovan kept falling and cursing in frustration. Uh, So eventually Connie and Alex followed a small creek uphill, and turned northwest roughly half a mile south of Saddle Junction. That's where we saw him last, they said. It was about 8,080 feet on the afternoon of May 3rd. He was very close to Saddle Junction. Uh, There was patchy snow at this point, and you could see hints of the trails. Okay, so here's Mount San Jacinto. (laughs) They were here originally, and this is where Saddle Saddle Junction Junction is. So he was very close to that point. Okay. Um, So... No one knows exactly what John did next, as he was never seen again alive. Uh, Dave Koskameki, age 61. I'm on it. Joe's on it. We've got live pronunciation here. It's the technology is insane in, the, in, in, my, in my house studio. It still doesn't Koskenmaki. make Koskenmaki. 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 Oh, so that was the, it was detected as Finnish. Well. Koskinmaki. So he's age 61. He is an orienteering expert, says the conditions on the ridge on May 6th were miserable. The visibility was about 100 feet. It was thought that Donovan saw the lights of Idlewild after the whiteout eased up, then began to descend towards the town. 
So, like I said, he was last seen on May 3rd, 2005, near a remote spot in the forest called Saddle Junction, where the northbound Pacific Crest Trail is crossed by the Devil's Slide Trail. He had covered 178 miles. The area is about 50 miles southeast of Los Angeles and about 30 miles south of Palm Springs. So, when word reached Virginia in mid-May that Donovan had not been heard from in a while, a friend phoned several rural post offices. Uh, who you got up here? Super Dave. That's Dave Kaskamaki. Okay, wow, you found a picture of him. Yeah, this is uh, his P- PCT trail journal. Cool. So, um, a friend phoned several post offices along the trail where she knew he had mailed packages. When she learned that he had not picked them up, she alerted the authorities. Uh, searches, searches were launched, but no trace of Donovan was ever found. So we are going to end the timeline for the time being for Donovan, and we are going to start the timeline for Brandon and Gina. Uh, so Brandon and Gina's story starts on Saturday morning, May 6th of 2006. So on the morning of Saturday, May 6th, Brandon changed out of his shorts and into uh, wind pants and a t-shirt, and Gina put on a pair of yoga capris and a two-layered tank top, one of them bright orange. They both wore tennis sneakers and carried just a digital camera, chapstick, and a one-ounce tube of sunscreen. As this wasn't a day hike, they didn't pack food or water. Brandon said, we weren't planning to hike. We were just there for a one-hour little nature walk. So I will pause. Um... Not to critique people. They were found. They didn't die, but... Critique away, man. We always, Joe and I always, whenever we go hiking, even if it's a short little hour-long hike, I always pack enough stuff in case I have to spend at least a night out there. Yeah. You know, like, if I'm not going to have a lot of water on me, I'm going to have stuff to filter water or treat it. Yeah, it's so easy to carry even just the tablets or, like, a life straw. Yeah. Anything that and the, so you can at least get water because yeah. you can you can live without food. Yeah, and I mean get a solar blanket and a life straw and bring and like some a tarp maybe. dehydrated food that you can just add water to yep. and some strike anywhere matches and you know wear a hi- generator. Yeah, generator. <laughs> you know wear you know wear hiking boots. Um, pack you know like a sweater or something in your backpack in case you're out there in the cold. I so. Um, you know, unprepared for potentially becoming lost. And um, so there's a tram, actually, that goes up uh, the mountain. And so they took the tram up. And when the tram stopped at the peak and the doors opened, the guide said, be back here in two hours. Uh, after the night of partying, the couple thought a walk would clear their heads, as it was a beautiful sunny day with the temperature around 60 degrees Fahrenheit. <clears throat> Uh, so at this point, the terrain was easy, and they saw a lookout point around 75 yards away off the trail. They could see people there and other people coming up the trail who said the view was pretty, and they were casually dressed, so they decided to head off in that direction. From somewhere in the distance came the sound of a waterfall, maybe 75 yards further. Getting to it was a bit more difficult, but it was only 30 minutes since they gotten off the tram, and they... We're sure they'd be back to the tram in plenty of time. So now is when they start to get lost. So somehow Brandon had uh, miscalculated and made <clears throat> a wrong turn on the way back. Um, it was easier when they came to the tree or boulder or some other obstacle to turn right down the mountain rather than climb up. 
So they became lost, a slight turn off course, followed by another and then yet another. The train suddenly didn't look familiar. So this is another one of those things we tell people is if you start to think you're lost, don't just keep wandering around. Although this, that, this is going to bite us in the butt. But normally, normally, don't keep wandering around. Yeah, because you can see how they kept making the wrong decision in where they thought they were going, and it just got them more and more lost. Yep. Uh, so now they heard voices which they tried to follow, but the sound was bouncing off boulders and echoing off steep canyon walls, leading them even further from the trail. Then they were sliding on their backsides over loose scree, holding on to the brush for support. At this point, they started to sense they were in trouble. Gina was frightened and crying as she didn't have any experience in the wilderness, saying, I'm not sure I can do this. Brandon responded, I'll hold your hand and just follow me. You can do this. Be careful. Watch your step. Don't get hurt, and we'll get out of this fine. So, like I said, neither of them had ever camped or done any hiking, uh, making it worse for Gina. She could feel herself losing it. And she was worried about getting back to the tram, but she was just as worried about how Brandon would handle it if she gave up and become hysterical. So here's another thing that we've talked about is if you get lost and you start feeling yourself, you know, succumbing to panic, just stop for a second and collect your thoughts, cool off and come up with a a plan of how, what you're going to do, because people that are in a panicked frame of mind, usually don't make good decisions. Yeah. Uh, so that's another tip when you get lost is you got to collect your thoughts and cool off and, you know, make calm, rational decisions. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> it would be easy for him to say, you know what? Screw, screw you then. You sit here, cry, be a baby. I'm getting out of here. After all, he'd only known her uh, a little over a month. So Gina pulled herself together, pressed on. Um, and that's kind of a crappy thing to think that your boyfriend would say that like like if i'm being a problem he's just gonna leave me here in the wilderness while we're lost like (laughs) doesn't you're not thinking very highly of him so that was kind of strange well he was a new guy the new guy you don't know he could be a creeper yeah (laughs) so (laughs) it is now uh excuse me we're gonna get emails and messages i don't care i don't care those people um have sad Lives and that's why they complain, I already about, complain about you being a human. I, I apologize coffee. for being sick. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so it is now 3.30 p.m. on May 6th. Gina pointed herself in different directions to make herself heard and shouted, help, is there anyone there? We're lost. Brandon still wasn't ready to admit that. He shouted, is there anybody there? They repeated this every 15 minutes and kept thinking there are hikers all over this mountain and that someone eventually had to hear them. The air was thin and the train just got rockier and now the sun was starting to set over Mount uh, San Jacinto. It is now 7.30 p.m. on May 6th of 2006. The temperature now was falling fast. They were scrambling along a stream, uh, the steep walls of the canyon on each side when they came to a 50-foot waterfall. Brandon found a big flat rock near the water out in the open to make it easier for rescuers to spot them. And they sat there for the night, running through reasons why people had to be searching. Brandon felt responsible for the mess they uh, were in and started to apologize, but Gina stopped him. She uh, went on to say, we both walked off the path together. We're here together. We'll get out of this together. So There you go. Strong mental fortitude. Yeah. Good for them. So from the top of the mountain, it looked to them like they could walk down to Palm Springs, almost due east. But once they got into into Long Valley, 
The terrain got very rugged. Then Brandon made the decision. Uh, he told Gina, we're not going to die on this mountain. So a positive attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, so by now the temperature had dipped below 40. And if all you have is T-shirts and tank tops, that's cold. That's And that's that's a bad spot to be in, and for sure. And you've been sweating all day. and Yeah. Yeah, not a good spot. So uh, without the wind chill and with the wind picking up, so the wind's picking up, not good. Brandon said he'd seen a makeshift cave, more like a crevasse. Uh, created by three rocks. There was just enough room for them to sit hunched over, Gina's legs wrapped around Brandon, hugging each other to conserve heat. So at least they found some kind of shelter and they were staying close to, you know, use each other's body heat. They didn't sleep that night as the waterfall was loud. It was windy and every 30 minutes, Brandon made them stand up and jog in place to prevent hypothermia. It's not a bad move. Yeah, so... Keep the body and blood moving? Yeah. So it is now the next day, Sunday morning... May 7th of 2006. So when the sun finally rose on Sunday morning, they figured incorrectly that the worst was behind them, and they consoled themselves that they'd always have the crazy story to tell about that time they had to spend the night in Mount San Jacinto. They were convinced that all they had to do was wait for rescuers to find them, and probably if they would have stayed in the original spot where they first realized they were lost, (laughs) probably would have been found quicker. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, we can laugh at it because we know they're okay. Yes. Uh, Br- though, Brandon, it's like he went to the future and listened to our podcast. Brandon remembered that people who are lost in the wilderness will wander farther away from the search area, making themselves harder to find. So they agreed to stay put since they thought the search party was probably getting started that morning at daybreak. We should reach out and find out where he heard that from. And <laughs> if he's not sure, convince him that he heard it from our podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even though uh, 2006, I was in college. (laughs) So um, they sat on a flat rock above the waterfall for three hours. They were thirsty but didn't drink any water because they're worried about getting sick. It was contaminated. Another good move. Good move, but at some point, they're going to have to drink the water to survive. Yeah, but it it was a good move to not do it until you absolutely need to. Yeah. So they, uh, they go on to say, what was the point of getting sick if they expected to hear a helicopter or someone calling their names at any minute? So, mm-hmm. But the problem with that is you don't always know when you're becoming dehydrated until it's too late. Yeah. So, but if there's water close by, they could, they could drink it. And yeah, it it's it. not like they're going away from it. So if they're going to wait there, it's right there at their fingertips if they need to make that emergency call. And, and I would just say that you can do three days <clears throat> roughly without it. Even if you didn't have anything to purify the water, if you just had matches in like a cup, you could yeah. boil it. You can, uh, you can leave small amounts sitting out in the sun too. Use yeah. natural UV to kill stuff. So if you have a clean area, you can put water in there, let it sit for a minute in the sunlight and that yeah. will potentially make it better. It's not a foolproof, but there's might, there's different things you can do. You might not get as sick as fast. Yeah. Um, so they thought, what if uh, they aren't searching? And actually, in reality, no one was searching. The tour guide had assumed the couple found another way back to the hotel after they didn't make the roll call on the bus, and they realized they were uh, two guests, guests short. I kind of... That's fault of that. I kind of call into question the tour guide. I think if I was... Yeah, you, that's, a, that's a strong assumption of I had people, I don't have people, we're in the wilderness. I would probably call the park service, the state park, hey, like, hey, two people that were on our guide didn't show up. They probably are fine, but yeah, just so they're raise aware. the flag. Yeah. Um, so unless it happens so often that 
they don't do it. Like every day people just figure their own way down. Yeah, still. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That seems like a pretty big liability. Yeah. So concluding that no one was looking for them, Gene and Brandon came up with a new plan. They had taken a picture of the waterfall that led them off path. So they decided to find it. Once they find that fall, they would know that they would be close to the trail. Besides, up was the only direction they could go because the waterfall below was a dead end. So, I mean, in that scenario where they can't go anywhere else but up, but you're, you're wasting precious energy now going back up. Yeah. Um, so they made a big X on the ground with the rocks and left one of Gina's bright orange tank tops by it, uh, and they headed up. Climbing up proved much more difficult than climbing down, mm-hmm. and the slope was so steep that the couple had to crawl on their stomachs. That's scary. Yeah. One wrong slip, you can fall and die. Gina recognized a single dead pine tree that she thought resembled an old man. The previous day from the scenic overlook, that tree had been above them, and now it was below them. Off in the distance, they could once again see Palm Springs. Uh, with what seemed like 100 waterfalls in the mountain, they all began to look the same. So it had taken them that long to climb up to the top of the ridge, so how long could it possibly take the hike all the way down to Palm Springs? A long way. Well, if there's no trail and you're bushwhacking, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a long way. The tram ride had only taken 10 minutes, so now they were at a higher elevation than the night before, and Gene and Brandon began to worry that they could die from exposure with the winds increasing. Yep, very true. S- serious concern. Uh, they climbed up a boulder and found a parallel valley that appeared to offer an alter- alternate route around the 50-foot fall that trapped them the night before. So they decided it was their best option. So at this point, they you know they just keep moving and moving and moving. Um, you almost want to pick a spot that you think you could survive the longest and just stay seated. But um, Brandon came up to a 10-foot vertical drop, and he was perched on the edge holding some roots for balance. Oh, Gina, Gina was about 20 yards above him. Uh, he heard her scream and looked over his shoulder to see a rock slide headed right at him. Yeah, that, that they're in like the worst positions ever. Yeah. So Brandon grabbed the root with both hands and swung off the edge of the cliff, dangling in midair. This sounds Jeez. like a movie scene. Uh, a rock the size of a suitcase missed him by about a foot. They watched That would have killed him. Oh, it would have, yeah. Like, you think about, if I threw a rock at your head right now, even size, half that size, yeah. half that size, I'd probably knock you out. Yeah. Now, imagine tumbling down a cliff, probably doing 10, 15 miles an hour. And a suitcase-sized boulder is oh. probably 50, 100 pounds. Yeah, that'll kill you instantly. <clears throat> yeah, so um, they watch as the rock flew down the mountain, breaking branches on its way down. So Sunday, uh, thankfully, was a warm, warm day with a slight breeze, and Gina took off her second tank top, and gave it to Brandon to tie around his head so his scalp wouldn't get sunburned. They were thinking that they were making good prog- progress after the terrible day they had before. Yeah. So it is now uh, 5 p.m. on May 7th, and the valley they had followed merged with the valley they were stuck in the night before. Coming across the stream, stream the couples decided uh, they had to have a drink of water due to the raging thirst, despite the risk of bacteria and parasites. The area was very rugged and thick with vegetation, including pine, uh, scrub oak, white fir, juniper, and wild apricot. If they're up towards the source, there's a much less chance of that being a case. Moving water closer to the source, they're probably a lot better than when you go keep going downwards, picking up particulate, debris, potentially animals dying in it or, or defecating in it. That's like where you get all that stuff. So if they're up at the cold elevation, 
there's probably much less risk of that happening. So, and I mean, at some point, you, you have to have water. You yeah, die anyways. Yeah, it's yeah, so. it's, it's risk the the sickness, but you stay hydrated. Yeah. So, in places, the uh, scrub was so thick they had to crawl it, uh, and fight through it, cutting and scratching them in the process. As the sun went down on them yet again, Brandon had fallen into the stream when a log broke under his weight, so they decided to stop for the day. They found a flat rock up against some boulders that gave protection from the wind that was coming down from the mountain. Brandon's feet and shoes were wet, so Gina gave her socks to him. Okay, so he didn't fall in with his whole body. No. Well, that's very lucky. Yeah. If his body got wet right as the sun was going down, (laughs) he would have not been able to dry off. They're like the unluckiest people well and that's like you you don't think of when you're in this situation small little things like that can be the difference between survival or not if he got completely soaked they didn't have any change of clothes sun's down you are not going to dry out he would have been forced to strip down uh probably completely naked yeah and then hope to god he didn't get hypothermia well and the thing the really crazy thing about their story is this is probably played out on a lot of the other cases of people that have gone missing that are never found. Oh, absolutely. That's, a, that's all I've like, been thinking the whole time. This is like the struggle you imagine someone who's lost, who eventually doesn't get found, is going through before, you know, the final accident or they, you know, it's it's rare that we get a glimpse into what happened and absolutely. they get found. Shocker. <laughs> um, well, it just shows, too, because um, we've been on the trails. and Yeah. When we know where we're going, we go off trail. We've climbed up scree fields. It's very dangerous. Yeah. If you know what you're doing, it's very dangerous. So, you know, they have these very movie-like scenes occurring to them, but really that stuff happens. I mean, when when we climb up a scree field, what do we do? We don't go right up behind each other because we know that rock falls are real. So we spread out and we go on angles so that if somebody kicks a rock loose, no one's below. And if you don't know what you're eye out above me the whole time. Absolutely. And so we go up at different times and spread out at angles, you know, because we know how gravity works (laughs) and because simply we know how to do that stuff. Yeah. So you have these people that have no business being out where they're at trying to survive and they're, they're making semi-decent decisions given the fact they know nothing. Yeah. And I mean, we've, we do go off trail, but we have gear on us that we could survive. Well, we go off trail where we know we can. Yeah. Because we understand, A, well, A, there's certain areas where you're allowed to. We don't yeah. do it where you're not allowed to because you just got to stay in the path. But there's areas where you can. There's some national on, parks. On BLM land, you can go wherever you want. Yeah, and there's some national parks that are much more open to just you get your backcountry permit and you can literally camp wherever you want in the park. Yes. Then there's other parks that are much more strict. Yeah, they have the specific sites. But yeah. even then, we'll talk to rangers and they'll even say, oh, go, you know, if you climb yeah. this pass here, it's kind of like a little secret. There's a little lake up there. Here's where we think is the best route, but there's been storms. There might be down trees. You can try these areas. Yeah. So we don't just randomly go off path. Yeah. It's with intention. And even if we're going to go, hey, let's go check that out. We've been places where we'll come up to obstacles and we say, this isn't worth it. Yeah. And we'll turn around because we understand that one wrong move, we're 40 miles away from civilization and help. Or you know, death. So, yeah. If someone breaks a leg, yeah. uh, you know, we're usually four or more people. Someone's going to have to stay with that person. The other two are going to have to hike out. I think part of the wisdom you gain from doing a lot of backcountry hiking over many years is learning what you should and shouldn't do in situations yeah. where like some things probably that 
you know, if I went hiking now versus 10 years ago, I wouldn't do again. Oh yeah. Because I'm much more aware of the dangers. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> I agree I, with that. I think that's just something you gain through kind of the wisdom of hiking a lot. And sure. you know, someone who's inexperienced in the backcountry, they don't know that stuff yet. So, mm -hmm. um, it's just very interesting kind of thinking about this whole story in that light. Um, so yeah, another bad night for him. Uh, thankfully the second night wasn't as cold mm -hmm. and, but they still periodically got up to run in place. So it is now, uh, the next day, Monday morning, which is May 8th of 2006. This is their third day on the mountain. So they picked themselves up and kept going. Uh, they were certain at each bend in the stream that they'd see the base of the mountain and the city of Palm Springs. <clears throat> at one point, Brandon fell through a crevasse in some rocks and twisted his ankle and also nearly fell while rappelling with a branch down a 15-foot cliff. So, Jeez. again, something. Another thing you don't think about is he's rappelling down this 15-foot cliff. If that valley's a dead end, how do you get back up yeah. without climbing? You're here? stuck down You're there. stuck. We, we covered this in a Patreon episode of a guy who died in uh, Grand Canyon National Park going off trail, and he was going from cliff ledge to cliff ledge, like slowly going down, and he eventually got to a spot where he couldn't get back up and he was stuck on a cliff ledge and died. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason why if you don't have a map, it's probably not a good idea to just go down an elevation on cliffs that you can't get back up. Yeah. Um, so after he was falling, uh, as he was falling, his hand fortunately caught a branch and held on probably saving his life. Uh, the vegetation grew even thicker and harder to penetrate, but... With cactus starting to appear, they figured they had to be getting close to the desert floor. They crossed the stream several times looking for an easier route. Uh, at one point, having to strip down and wade across, carrying their clothes over their heads to keep them dry. Smart move. They stopped every hour on the hour to take water and rest. Gina would tell Brandon, I do not want to spend another night on this mountain. So it is now 5 p.m. of May 8th, 2006. <clears throat> They had just come around another bend in the stream, crawling through the foliage. When Brandon stood up, he saw a campsite on the other side of the stream with a green poncho strung between two trees. He said, come here, Gina, look up, right, uh, right there. Is that what I think? Uh, they shouted across to the camp, hello, help, anybody there, we're lost. So they looked for a place to cross the stream, and Brandon slipped and got wet. Uh, another, that's why you hike with hiking boots. They have good yeah. traction if you're... I've hiked in running shoes, and you do exactly what you do. You slip on wet stuff. Mm -hmm. Hiking boots aren't going to slip on that stuff. Um, just another tip. <laughs> uh, so they look for a place across the stream. Like I said, they arrived at the makeshift camp and immediately realized something wasn't right. <laughs> so there was a rusty fork and spoon and a disposable razor laying in the dirt. Nearby, there were two sneakers lay about 10 feet apart. And there was an orange and yellow backpack at the water's edge. That would be really creepy. Yeah. Coming across that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they saw that it was sodden, weathered, and had been there for some time. Inside the pack, they found a Ziploc bag, which contained medicines, a bag of socks, tent stakes, a navy blue fleece pullover, a compass, a cooking tin, and a prayer card for St. Christopher, the patron saint of travelers. They also found a wallet and... Within it was an ID of the name John Joseph Donovan from Petersburg. So you can see how the first timeline ties into this one. Yep. Uh, 
Then Gina came across some topographic maps with notes written in the margins and white spaces. The writing covered the margins of several maps, uh, and there were about a dozen entries in total. The author, which we presume was Donovan, said he was trapped in the gorge. Gina said, baby, look at this. No way. Somebody has to be around here because it's dated today, May 8th. Somebody has to be here. <laughs> Brandon responded, Gina, that's May 8th, 2005. That's so crazy, though. It's the exact day yeah. to a year. It's crazy. So the map entries were a year old, and they realized then that something terrible had happened at the camp, and they extre- got extremely anxious. I would, too. That's mm-hmm. pretty weird. Um, Brandon kept reading the journal looking for clues. John said he knew no one was looking for him and was down to his last few crackers. In the last entry dated May fourteenth, two 2005, he said he wanted to be buried in the VA cemetery and wrote goodbye and I love you all. That's so, sad. Yeah. So a man with equipment and maps had died here, but what did John Donovan mean about being trapped? Uh, so was this gorge he was talking about where his body was? Uh, Brandon did his best to maintain a positive attitude, but it was difficult. Looking at Donovan's idea, he told Gina, this guy was 60 years old. Maybe he had a heart problem. Maybe he fell and broke something. So, I mean, staying positive, that's a good thing. Brandon later said his last journal entry was one year ago to the day that we found it, which is very eerie. I 100% agree. Nobody knew where he was. Nobody knew to come looking for him, so he was preparing for the end. We were looking at the words of a man who was passing. We definitely knew that that we were looking at somebody's grave. The thought was, um, is this going to be our grave? He was quoted. So they decided to head off, leaving the backpack as it was wet and heavy, but they kept Donovan's personal effects thinking the family would want them. I still love that they have the mindset they're going to get out of it. Yeah. Um, I think that's important. Yeah. So they uh, came to another waterfall. This one was about 25 feet high, and they managed to climb around it 50 yards further. You had another waterfall with steep canyon walls. This one was 100 feet in height with a cliff that was probably uh, that dropped about 300 feet. So they're trapped. Uh, they now realize what Donovan's journal entries meant. Going back the way they came wasn't an option with rock faces that couldn't be climbed. They were trapped just like John. They returned to Donovan's campsite to see if there was anything else there to help them. Fortunately, Gina had missed about 25 strike anywhere matches in his gear. So they took the backpack, the foam mat, the poncho, and returned to the waterfall, finding a spot near the canyon wall above the tree line to ensure that uh, they were visible to rescuers. Gina put on Donovan's fleece and laid out some of his wet socks on the rock, setting up the poncho as a screen, preparing for the wind that came down the mountain every night. So they're kind of trying to set up a camp, which mm-hmm. is good. Um, there was a tent back at the camp, so I would have maybe grabbed st- that, stayed in the tent. Yeah. Even though, I mean, it was a creepy area, like, if it's survival or being creeped out, I'll take survival. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brandon set out to make a signal fire, but he realized that if he lit a signal fire beneath their perch on the canyon wall, they could be engulfed in flames themselves. He yeah. found it. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you don't, you also, you want to, you want to signal to authorities, but you also don't want to start a forest fire, <laughs> yeah. which is tough. I mean, uh, your number one goal is to survive, but, you don't want to be responsible for 
millions of acres burning down, which yeah. could engulf you and kill you anyways. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he found another small part of the gorge uh, wall where he could set the fire and control it. As he got the fire going, he heard the sound of a helicopter, and Gina began jumping up and down, waving her arms. But the helicopter was uh, quite a ways off, and after a few seconds, it disappeared behind a ridge. <clears throat> Brandon fed the fire as quickly as he could, then started waving a burning stick. Gina took off her jacket, picked up a branch uh, onto which she had tied an orange fabric square from Donovan's bag and started waving. The helicopter appeared again in the distance and appeared again. Four times it appeared and then was gone. And she ended up saying to Brandon, what if they don't come back? Brandon didn't have an answer. It is now the next day, May 9th, Tuesday. This would be their fourth day on the mountain. <clears throat> uh, the couple had been without food for three days. Brandon told Gina he'd made the decision, I'm going to light this place on fire. I'm going to light the whole damn mountain on fire. <laughs> she said, do it. <laughs> so uh, they're desperate. I mean, yeah. anyone in a desperate situation is probably going to like, yeah, well, I'm going to light the place on fire. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Brandon let Gina... Uh, left Gina on the perch and disappeared under the canopy. He waited for the wind to shift. As it heated in the valley, he swept back up the mountain, away from the perch. He found a fallen tree with piled twigs and leaves um, into an indentation he'd made by jumping on it. He got a fire going and headed back to Gina. By the time he got back to the perch, the flames were everywhere, with trees exploding with heat. The fire started to burn itself out after about 45 minutes, and then... A little more than an hour after Brandon had lit it, the fire w was out. Then they had heard a helicopter uh, flying around the bend, right at eye level. There it was. They waved and jumped, and Gina's legs were so weak, they crumbled beneath her. From the helicopter, they heard, we'll be back. Uh, it turned and headed down the valley. Gina turned to Brandon and told him, you saved my life. Brandon just kept thinking, we made it, we made it, we made it. Uh, they both understood it was John Donovan's matches that saved their lives. When they were finally picked up, Brandon told the rescuers that they had found a campsite belonging to John Donovan, and they promised to return to find him. They were examined at a local hospital and only had blisters and bruises. It was um, one of the most amazing survival stories um, that could have happened, and it wouldn't have happened without Donovan's gear that they just randomly found. Yeah. So... Fast forward now to June 2006. A new search kicked off for John. About one year later in June 2006, so that's a year later after John went missing and a month after Gina and Brandon <clears throat> were rescued, a team from RMRU returned to retrieve John Donovan's body, which surprisingly had not been burned. So I think there must have been a forest fire there recently. Uh, they worked with Riverside Sheriff's Office to organize a search near the lost camp for Donovan's remains. After a lot of planning and several delays, the operation finally began on June 4th of 2006. Searchers were flown one at a time to the landing zone about a one-fourth mile from the camp. The LZ had been hacked out on a steep slope on the mountain, and the team had to cut through thick brush, and there was no sure footing anywhere. Finally, at the campsite, they started looking around, and within 15 minutes, found the body. Oh, wow. Donovan's body lay just 50 yards from where uh, Brandon and Aunt, uh, Gina had been. Though they never saw it, it was just downstream by a 20-foot waterfall in a pool set amid birches and mossy green rocks. It was straddling a fallen branch choking the stream. 
They described it as follows. Due to the heat and exertion of moving through the incredible, incredibly difficult terrain, we were all exhausted. It was one of the most strenuous rescues I've ever per- participated in. We were pleased, however, to have been able to bring closure to John's friends and family. Patrick <clears throat> McCurdy, one of the Riverside Rescue volunteers who went back in for Donovan, says he initially thought the couple was pretty stupid to have gotten lost the way they did. But McCurdy had never been down into Long Valley, and once he had seen the vegetation and the steepness of the canyon walls uh, where he understood, to his mind, there's no question they would have died if it weren't for the signal fire. No way, McCurdy says. We would have never sent people down into that gorge. So what happened? That's so lucky. That's crazy. So, you know, the John John saved their lives. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's in the odds that they managed to get into that valley where he got lost and stuck. Yeah. So what happened to John? So at the time of his death, John, I guess, had an enlarged heart, which made breathing difficult at altitude. He had strayed from the Pacific Crest Trail and was traveling ultralight using a tarp instead of a tent and socks in place of gloves. And he had a few provisions. He headed into uh, the storm against the advice of other hikers he had met. Donovan was described as stubborn and headstrong and spent his life confounding others with what appeared at times to be contradictory behaviors. California authorities now know that Donovan checked his bravado after parting uh, company with the Davises on May 3rd and tried to detour west down into Idlewild, but with no way to navigate, he became disorientated. In Dis- a ger- disoriented? Gosh darn it. <laughs> I screw that up every time I read that word. I'm going to purposely... I'm never letting you get away with I'm it gonna either. I'm going to purposely change that with something else in future episodes. No, you, you got to keep doing it, Gosh. and then one day you'll get it right. Uh, I'll never get it right. Then all the phone calls will stop. I refuse. Um, <laughs> so in a journal written by written in the margins of the photocopied guidebook pages, Donovan scribbled... Couldn't find a, uh, the trail to Idlewild. So instead, he cut away from Idlewild, drawn by the lights of the much larger Palm Springs, traveling about three miles northeast of Saddle, from Saddle Junction area that night. He traversed skinny Willow Creek, then climbed a small ridge and dropped down into a steep cutting uh, called Hidden Valley. As he dipped into the lower areas, the brush became thicker and thicker. Donovan's journal places him in Long Valley at about 4,300 feet the night of May 3rd. On May 5th, still camped in the same ravine, he took a fall. How badly he was hurt is unclear as John didn't give details, but clearly the ordeal of the past few days had landed him in big trouble. He wrote that he had already become too weak to climb out of the canyon. The notes that John wrote on the maps depicted a man coming to terms with uh, the bleakness of his situation. He tried to signal for help with a mirror, and he tried to build a few weak fires that smoldered out due to the time of year he was hiking. <coughs> so, so even in the O'Sullivan case, he went missing in this exact same area. Yeah. And that, that was, uh, I think I said it was episode 67, right? Sounds right. So, yeah, so like it was like the same area. Yeah, so I mean, there's a good chance this isn't the only kind of valley that dead ends where if you hike into it, you get stuck and can't yeah. get out. And his wasn't his the case too where it was uh, snowing yeah. and it was hard to see the trail. So it seems like this area 
do not hike through this portion of the PCT if there's snow on the ground because it seems like it's like a strainer point for different areas where you can go down somewhere where you cannot get back out again. And maybe carry some climbing gear with you. Yeah, just to, yeah. Or, mean, or just don't hike the trail if you yeah. can't see where you're going. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he tried to use a signal flare, couldn't get a fire going. At one point on May 5th, John took an inventory of his supplies, uh, and he was down to just 12 cheese crackers. In his notes, he conceded that Ken Baker had been the smart one. He regretted not heeding his advice about waiting a few weeks to start the PCT and told Baker he wanted to be buried at a Navy cemetery. On May 11th, he celebrated his 60th birthday by eating two of his crackers. In his last entry dated May... Oh, that's sad. Yeah. On his last entry dated May 14th, he scribbled that he was going down to Long Creek for water, writing goodbye and love you all. The only mystery that lingered was, was, was Donovan's final message, a suicide note. Did he leap to his death, anguished after 11 days of waiting, or did he slip and endure a final fall? Uh, no one will ever know this. Um, but uh, on July 11th, they buried John Donovan in a veteran cemetery in Amelia County. 80 people filled the chapel, and a minister read from Psalm 23. He read it. He leads me beside quiet water. He restores my soul. A ramrod stiff Navy officer presented Ken Baker with a flag. Bagpipe, bagpipers played Amazing Grace, uh, Amazing Grace, and Lynn Paget moved to the grave bearing uh, a red plastic cooler. There he opened a sea breeze bottle filled with Irish whiskey and began filling up plastic cups so everyone could take a nip. So, what a crazy story. That is a crazy story. I think I, it goes to show that small decisions that seem innocuous yeah. can end up causing huge problems. And I think that's what trips people up in the wilderness. Like if you're just going for a hike, you know, just like a little quick jaunt off the trail. Yeah. And then that turns into, I think we're lost. Let's go this way. Yeah. Let's go. The, just little, little dumb decisions that... Again, they don't seem that big of a deal. Yeah. And we'll just keep pushing you into a further red territory. Yeah. And I think what really drew me to this story of these two individuals, you know, three individuals, is we got a firsthand account of what probably a lot of people have gone through when they've gone missing. Yep. I'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, you're right. It's... um. What's really, was what I really liked about this, these people had zero experience. Yeah. And you can, it's almost crazy how the brain works and gets really sharp in those yeah. types of conditions because they started recalling things that we talk about. Yeah. And they did not know what they were doing. So it's, people have that knowledge like almost innately in them of they've probably heard it somewhere. You know, he said, oh, we're supposed to stay where we are. Yeah. Now, if he was a little more seasoned, he would have known that out of off the bat, but I wonder how many of those people start realizing the right things to do, and unfortunately, they never get found in time. Yeah, and I mean, how incredibly lucky were that John went missing in there, and they just happened to come across the valley that had all his gear in it. Because without that gear, they Brandon and Gina would have died. I wanted like a statistician to calculate the odds. <laughs> it's like it's got to be ridiculous. Yeah, like you could win the Powerball twice and get hit by lightning or before we, that we'll would happen. we'll probably find out that Valley just like people just like it funnel like into there. people in there. But even then you think they would start searching that area after the finding yeah, Donovan's the body? Yeah, the said they would have never searched it. Yeah. So. But still, think of the odds of somebody going missing a year prior yep. and leaving behind 
the exact items you need to get rescued yeah. in the exact same spot a year later and those things surviving the elements. Yep. And then you stumbling upon that randomly. Yeah. And then a helicopter being in the right spot to see the signal fire that you lit that only lasted a certain amount of time. Yeah. Like those odds have to be ridiculously insane. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like one odd after the other, like the odds of yeah. this happening, the odds of that happening. Like it's crazy. So if you're a fan of the show, I shouldn't be alive. Uh, season three, episode two, date from hell is this story. Is it really? Yes, that's what this is. And these are the actor uh, recreated photos that I was I was like kind of giggling at. Oh, like this hilarious. is from the TV show. Look at they're on their date. They're meeting for the first time. Wow. Hey, look at there's that. What's funny is this is the actual photo. <coughs> this is the recreated one. They like found the same clothing, that's except funny. they couldn't find a dude with black hair. Like. <laughs> Yeah. Like they, the, the girl actually looks pretty similar to her. Yeah. Like, but the, so yeah, you can go watch, look at like, Oh, he's very scared and serious. I mean, what, what's that on? Uh, let's see what, so I'm on IMDB right now to see, uh, yeah, it aired, uh, in 2010. Okay. January 22nd. It's saying you can watch it on freebie. Freebie. So go to IMDb date from hell and I shouldn't be alive. You can watch this. Must be good if it's only on freebie. Yeah. (laughs) So. Um, Well, that's all I had. Oh, top comment. Why isn't anyone concerned that he tried to start a forest fire and the potential harm this could have caused? (laughs) What a dumb comment. Rachel Owens, six, two, six, three, three. Well, we covered that. Yeah. Leave no trace. But guess what? If I'm five days out and almost dying and I have matches, I'm probably going to start a big fire, too. I probably won't try and set the whole forest on fire. I'll gather stuff, but shut up, Rachel Owens. I'm going to say that. <laughs> okay. And I care about the environment a lot. Yeah. But that's a dumb comment. Why weren't they concerned? I'll be quiet. <laughs> Go be happy somewhere. All right. Well, on that positive note, <laughs> join us on Patreon uh, for our exciting Dolly oh, yeah. artwork episode. Yeah, thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate you all for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube where you can find the videos of each episode. Also, if you would like to support the show monetarily, as Mike said in the beginning, please visit our website or Facebook store to buy some sweet, sweet swag. Additionally, you can subscribe to our Patreon account and on YouTube and Apple Podcasts, the the special Apple Podcast, where you will have access to our special events and additional shows for paid customers only. Just like Mike said, we're going to have a fun one next. Lastly, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time. <laughs>